Eric Foster has a terrific column today about how police use tinted windows as a cheap excuse to pull over mainly black drivers. It's one of the most ridiculous laws that gets enforced, and he highlights some areas in the country that are stopping it because it is such a racist ploy that police use to target black drivers. Eric has been targeted himself. Great stuff. Check it out on Cleveland.com and in The Plain Dealer. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with my colleagues Laura Johnston, Lisa Garvin, and our chief political writer and analyst, Seth Richardson. It's a Wednesday. This week's moving along, and next week we got Thanksgiving, man. The year is ending quickly. How are you all? I'm doing pretty well. I don't know how everybody else is. No doing complaint. okay. I like no complaints. That's good. In a year like this, after 21 months of the pandemic, no complaints <laughs> is a major... The sun is shining. It's like 50 degrees. The kids biked to school and said it felt like Florida. So I know it won't last, but I'm going to enjoy the weather while I can. Yeah, today's the one day where it's not going to be kind of cold. All right, let's begin. Why does Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish say the time is right to pass the torch to someone new so he will not seek re-election in 2022. Lord Johnston, this was a surprise only in that it's a surprise. He never should have considered running again, even though he was working it pretty hard. The fact that he's dropped out does break with what he's been doing. What does he say the reasons are? And then let's talk about what the real reasons are. Well, he basically said eight years is long enough that leadership should never be about the leader. It should be about the people. And he wants to set the right precedent with a two term executive. He also says he wants to spend more time with his family, which I feel like is required anytime someone says they're not running anymore. He's 68 years old. He says he looks a lot younger. Um, and he said this all in a four minute video he published on YouTube and sent to his staff. It's super upbeat. Like he sounds like he's about to like break out in song. He's so happy. But he said it was the greatest honor of his life to serve as the county executive. And here is my favorite quote. He says, I love waking up every morning to think about what we'll do today to improve the lives of residents of Cuyahoga County. So, I mean... He's signing off with a smile. Look, I, I think this may be the single greatest decision he's made for the benefit of Cuyahoga County. And I don't say that facetiously. If he if he did run and look, as of last week, he was still seeking support, getting tepid responses. Everybody in his orbit had said, don't run. You're going to get clobbered and it's going to be bloody. But he was still planning to run. It would have been a negative campaign. The ammunition against him is so heavy the deaths in the jail, the litany of terrible people that he hired who ended up getting charged with crimes and investigated, the, the fiscal mismanagement, the cost overruns, all of the bad decisions. We would have heard very little else during a campaign in which he's running, because if you're running against him, of course you would use that. He's been a disaster. By dropping out, we now have a positive campaign. You know, Chris Ronane is running as the Democrat. Lee Weingart's running as a Republican. He has no chance of winning, but but he'll make it interesting by by raising his vision. We have we can talk about the vision for Cuyahoga County now and whether we can actually get the county executive voters thought they would get when they changed government 11 years ago. We still haven't had it. We've had two county executives, both extremely bad or mediocre. So so this is good because now we can have a positive campaign, kind of like what Justin Bibb did to win the mayor's race. 
instead of the bloodbath it would have been and and he would have lost it would have been devastating is i mean it would have been a non-stop onslaught about his many many failures right uh, I, I don't disagree and the thing is it would have been a negative campaign but it would have been on substance and on his record right. it, it wasn't going to be personal attacks i don't think there's anything you can personally attack him for but you're right what's going to be interesting to see is if people jump in the race i mean ronane's a pretty formidable opponent if you're a democrat so it'll be interesting to see if anybody else declares but Buttigieg is saying, basically, he doesn't want to be a lame duck. He says these next 14 months are going to be his most productive yet, and he wants to attract new jobs with those microgrid electricity project and highlight the county's fresh water resources. I mean, he's talked a big game the entire time. I went back and looked at some of his clips are the clips from when he was first elected. And he was like, I'm going to talk to 100 millennials in 100 days and bring all this great, fresh, new perspective. I don't think we ever really saw that. No, it was total BS. Look, this guy really came in thinking about his power and his influence instead of the people. He just wielded the office like he was in charge. I mean, he had a law director that said he doesn't really have to follow anything in the charter because there's a sentence in the charter that supersedes all, which that's not true. He got slammed on that. But it, but it was his whole approach to this was boss tweed style. I'm the guy with the influence. You bow to my influence and do what I tell you. That's not what what that doesn't work today. And it's not what people had envisioned. Maybe in his last 13 months, he can have some redemption for the failures he's had. But but just look at the recent past. He's doing things you can't do with the budget. Right. He's cutting positions and saying, yeah, but but if we want to hire those positions, we'll just add them in later. You can't do that. Right. And, he wants to be known as a guy who was fiscally responsible and handed over a budget surplus. But you can't do that at the expense of like actually running the government. Well, he's actually cutting positions at the jail. I mean, he is so so blind to reality the jail is his biggest blemish eight people died there because he wanted to turn it into a cash cow instead of what the role is which is the caretaker of people in the county's ward and he's cutting positions because they're vacant and the, and the sheriff has taken it it's like what are you thinking that will be used in civil suits that rack up more millions of dollars of settlements you're so cavalier about your jail that you're cutting positions i mean i would the jury how do you think the jury's gonna take well that? and it's not like you don't know what's gonna happen like we've already done this we've seen the terrible results but the, the thing with buddhish is he acts like a career politician and i went back and looked he's only been a politician for 15 years he was in the state legislature before that he's been really really good at raising money but it's not like he has a whole lot of politic you know political experience he didn't start until his kids were out of the house so i mean he's a cleveland native he knows the town well it'll be interesting to see what he does after this i mean he could just be done but 68 is not old these days i don't feel like so i hope not <laughs> <laughs> Look, look, to, to get an idea of the difference, Armin Budish, it was in for him. How many times did his people say, the, the county executive needs a win? It was about him. Contrast that with Frank Jackson, who really never made it about him. You can argue with what Frank Jackson has done and, and whether he's been successful, but you can't argue that he wasn't about serving people. That's why he got elected over and over again. People knew that he was there for them. Budish wasn't. Budish was there for himself, and it's the way he governed it, and it's, it, the, the record is clear on that. But in the end, he did something for the county residents by, by 
relieving us of what would have been a horrible campaign, and it just would have been horribly ugly. So I salute him for making the decision now to give us that. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What does Summit County Prosecutor Sherry Bevan Walsh think about how Hudson Mayor, the Hudson mayor handled the controversy in that city's schools about inappropriate writing exercises in a college-level course? Lisa, we don't often see one public official tear into another public official like this, but I, I think you'd have a hard time arguing that it wasn't merited in this case. The Hudson mayor is a doofus. Yeah, this was totally merited. Uh, Ms. Bevan Walsh released a report on Tuesday. She was looking into actual possible charges, criminal charges against Hudson Mayor Craig Schubert for his disruption of a September school board meeting. Um, she was considering charges, including disrupting a public meeting and inciting panic because after he... Let Let's back up and do a little a little background here. So the whole issue is about this college level or college prep course called 642 Things to Write About. Uh, Some of them were sexual or graphic in nature. He called them child porn. And he went to the school board meeting and actually said, you know, this is child porn. If you, you know, if you don't take it out of the, the curriculum, we're going to ask all of you to resign right now. Um, and interestingly enough, this started at a fundraising party. He was at a political Republican political fundraiser, and apparently, uh, Summit County Domestic Relations Judge Katerina Cook and State Senator Christina Rogner approached him at this fundraiser and said, "Hey, do you know that they're teaching this in in the Hudson schools? And you know, what are you going to do about it?" Apparently, Rogner and Schubert left that fundraiser, went directly to the school board meeting and where Schubert, you know, made his his bombastic claims. And the problem with his claims is that he ignited this firestorm of of threats and harassment from parents. And and it, it just became and it became a national and actually international story. So it, and, and then later, Schubert claimed that he had hearing issues and he wasn't sure that he heard, you know, Rogner quite right, you know. So, yeah, nice uh-huh. little nice yeah. little excuse right. there. Yeah, I'm hard of hearing. I don't right. think I understood what she said. But, you know, they... But I'll throw fire on, or I'll throw gasoline on a fire and it ignite the passions of people around the world to come after my city. He called the school board members pornographers. I mean, it was right. ridiculously over the top. It's not what you expect. He's not an elected mayor. They have a city manager form of government. But when you have the title of mayor, what you say matters. And what he said was really quite, quite terrible. So what did, what did Sherry Bevan Walsh say about it? Well, she said that it didn't, it didn't rise to, to the, you know, to criminal charges, but she said it absolutely, you know, aided and abetted the, you know, these threats that came afterwards. It's a shame that they, they don't charge them in my, in my opinion, because they had 150 (laughs) threats of phone call, you know, threatening phone calls, 150 threatening phone phone calls to board members and educators. There were emails too that were actually tracked back to a server in Switzerland. And so they're actually going to look into these threats. These threats are now under investigation. I hope it bears fruit. And interestingly enough too, you know, later, um, Ms. Bevan Walsh said that after she said this was not child porn, uh, uh, 
Mayor Schubert appeared in a Facebook video with Senate candidate Josh Mandel after she made this ruling, and he still said it was child porn. So hes they're using this. This is another Republican talking point in, in these election months. So, yeah, it's just kind of using that playbook. And school boards, unfortunately, are front and center in this culture war. Oh, I don't think Hudson will stand for it. I mean, our our former colleague, Karen Farkas, is leading a recall effort to get, get him bounced. The people of Hudson, I don't think, want to be identified as this kind of a town. I mean, it was so ridiculous what he did that I'm, I think there may be some accountability for him beyond what Sherry Bevan Walsh said. And how about Sherry Bevan Walsh? And we talk a lot on this podcast about the dearth of women leaders in Northeast Ohio, but she's she's a great one. I mean, it, it, does anybody think that she might eventually seek a higher office or is, is she content to be a prosecutor? Because you, you got to like somebody who has this kind of presence of mind in the way she dealt with this. She was very sane and reasonable, but but firm in holding him to account. Laura, you you grew up down there. Do you think she has any prospects? I don't know. I haven't heard anything, but she's been a prosecutor for a very long time. So you have to think that if she had that desire, she probably would have moved on it by now. Well, you know, her predecessor in that office has been the chief justice of the Ohio Supreme Court for a while. So you never know. Maybe she'll raise her hand. To Apparently, in that. Summit County makes some pretty, pretty great <laughs> women prosecutors then, because if you look at Maureen O'Connor and her legacy, I mean, hats off to that. Yeah, it's a, it, it was a great decision, and the way she did it, I thought, was very, very professional. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How do the congressional maps settled on by Ohio's Republican legislators affect Northeast Ohio, and does anyone truly believe they will stand a test in the courts? Seth, we could do an entire podcast episode about these maps because they're fascinating for all sorts of not good reasons. Uh, we don't have an entire podcast to do that, so I'm going to ask you to pick some highlights from them that we can talk about. But there, there are two that I'm really curious about. How do you tie Lorain County to the counties on the Indiana border? And how do you put Parma into Dave Joyce's district? Yeah, those were certainly the uh, probably the two most kind of egregious, weird things that we saw in Northeast Ohio. Um, you know, particularly that Lorraine one, because Lorraine is kind of a swingy county and, you know, obviously doesn't have near as much in uh, um, in, in common with uh, counties along the Indiana border as, say, um, you know, the, the Rocky River areas or even, you know, like Toledo, like that kind of area. Right. Which, you know. It's not in that district. So that, yeah, that's an odd choice. I think, well, I, I think we know why that choice was made, right? Because, you know, kind of a, a vote sink of sorts. But yeah, the Parma uh, being kind of lopped off from either, um, you know, it has two districts that really, you know, it would make maybe a little more sense. And instead, it's going to be in uh, the seat currently occupied by Dave Joyce from Geauga County, um, you know, really sort of uh, kind of, you know, I, I guess it's technically a peninsula that it would be on. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, kind of putting Parma on an island compared to the the rest of the district over there uh, when there did seem to be, you know, um, you know, more uh, uh, easier districts to put it into that would make, you know, much more sense demographically, geographically and those kinds of things. Um, I, I think you, you know, clearly see what, uh, you know, you know, Republicans are trying to do with this where, hey, they did make a couple of districts that are, you know, competitive, at least on paper should be competitive. But, uh, you know, there's they're claiming that they made I, I believe they said they made seven competitive districts, which 
That's yeah, just that's just not the case. That's it, it, it's not. So 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 Lorraine County voters have just if this stood have just been X'd out of the system because they have nothing in common with the counties over on the Indiana border. So you basically have taken away their their vote. And Parma, let's think about Dave Joyce is the Lake Erie guy. He's the guy that represents that section of the county and, and he's been a pretty good legislator. Parma is not a lakefront community by any stretch of the imagination. And so and it's a small enough part of that district where the congressman, probably congresswoman, wouldn't pay as much attention to it. You basically have disenfranchised Parma. The other thing that I wanted you to talk about a little bit, though, is there is no majority minority district in this map. How is that likely to fare in the courts? Uh, well, I, I do believe that uh, the 11th is uh, majority minority. If oh, I'm, I'm not sorry, mistaken. I'm in Northeast Ohio, right? Um, yeah, so there, so there is, I believe, one majority minority district in the state. That would be the 11th, currently represented by Chantel Brown. But there would not be a majority black district, which we currently have with the the current 11th congressional district. So um, I, I don't know what kind of uh, court challenge we might see with that. But uh, you know, if you look around the state at other places too, um, you know, there are you, you can see where there are black communities that have essentially been kind of lopped off uh, in places like Hamilton and Franklin County, especially, um, and, you know, sort of put into these Republican districts as kind of a vote sink. So um, I, I, I'm interested to see how that gets challenged in the courts as well. Yeah, I mean, the people that put these together know that they're bad. They know they violated the will of the voters instead of making things less gerrymandered as voters asked or demanded in their changing the Constitution. They made it more so. They know it's going to go to the courts. And you almost get the feeling now that they figure, let's make it as lopsided as we can so when we're ordered to change it, we still have big wins. Because they, I can't imagine they think this will stand. It doesn't It doesn't do what the Constitution requires at all. It's a, it's a nightmare again. Um, so I, I just, it, you know, it'll go to the courts. They're also, I think, counting on... The deadline, right? I mean, the, mm. the legislative maps, the hearing is December 8th, but that process began more than a month ago. So now, once these get passed, they can't go to court till they're passed completely, that we start that process. So the hearing likely wouldn't be till January. When's the filing deadline for the primary next year? Um, I believe they, I don't know if they've set it a, a firm filing deadline, but it would be February around then of next year. And, you know, I, I, I think part of the, I think they're really trying to test this four year out that they gave themselves when, you know, they sort of wrote up their own, you know, they called it an anti gerrymandering reform, but for, you know, an exercise, it hasn't really been that way. Right. Um, and I think they're, I think they're really trying to test that as well to see if, um, you know, okay, hey, does this does this pass the muster for those four year uh, maps? And then they can just regroup in four years, and you know, any kind of demographic shifts that you have anywhere, they can they can plan around that and get even more favorable maps well, instead of having to deal with some of the changes that you know would likely occur with these maps. Yeah, but even with the four year maps, you had to do certain things that they're mm -hmm. not doing. In either case, the other thing is they won't get to use this system in four years. I have no doubt. You know, the League of Women Voters had a proposal on the table that they took off the table when the legislature said, no need, no need, we'll put something on. And what's clear now is they put something on that they could just ignore mm -hmm. because they're doing it exactly as they did it last time. So my bet is the League of Women Voters or some other group, 
will get the signatures needed. We will get something on the ballot that takes the whole process away from these guys because they just stink. They're they're not working in good faith. They are completely going outside the spirit of the law. I do think the Ohio Supreme Court will not let maps this egregious stand. At least you hope so. But, of course, you know, Pat DeWine has not recused himself from the legislative process, even though his father is a key player. So the whole court process could be tainted and stinky, too. We could end up before the Ohio Supreme Court, as a recent op-ed in our Plain Dealer and noncleveland.com said. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What do we know about the settlement between the Cleveland Guardians baseball team and the Cleveland Guardians roller derby team? Laura, not a whole lot. That's what I was going to say. They, they settled the lawsuit for an undisclosed amount of money, and they both get to use the name Guardians after they reach this amicable resolution. But we don't actually know what the resolution is or how much the, the baseball team ended up paying the Guardians, because the roller derby team, because that's what it came down to, right? When they filed this lawsuit, the roller derby team basically said they only offered us a four-figure amount to use this name and they could make that in 15 minutes of operation so they felt insulted by the offer and all we know now is the lawsuit's over so we have to figure they got a much better deal yeah you know what's dumb here is that the baseball team didn't have the foresight to avoid this they were always going to pay a fair price they were you know they're stealing the team's name they were always going to pay for it the, they, this is a team that wants the goodwill of the community. It's in the middle of getting hundreds of millions of dollars of subsidies for the ballpark. Yeah, If they would have just given them whatever the check was that they wrote, if they would have done that before they announced the team's name, they could have avoided this kind of black eye on this whole process. They look like bullies. They were trying to take advantage of these poor little guys. It's been a very ugly public relations nightmare, and it ended exactly as you knew it would with them writing the right amount of money on the check. It makes me want to run. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you could have had the roller derby team at the press conference with you when you announced this name, right? Like it would have made a lot of sense and and brought some more goodwill. And instead, you're right. They do look like bullies and they look stupid too. Like, wait, what? (laughs) Why didn't you do your homework? Well, they're losing money because they were supposed to start selling merchandise this week and they put it off probably because they were negotiating this and every day that goes by is a lost sale. Lisa? It just makes me want to run out and buy a Parma Roller Derby Guardians shirt. (laughs) I actually Googled it to see if I could find one. (laughs) That would be hilarious if people showed up to the ballpark in the Roller Derby team shirts instead of the baseball team shirts. That's a fascinating idea. They could they could make a bundle on it. And this team has been around since 2014, and it registered its name with the Ohio Secretary of State in January 2017. So this is not like they just did it. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. No way we're getting through today's agenda. We're going deep. How are commercial property owners trying to justify the inexplicable move by legislators to block school districts from opposing petitions to reduce property values and lower taxes. Lisa, we talked about this a week ago, trying to understand why the legislators would do this, because it's completely anti the public interest. It's it's trying to stick it to the taxpayers to help a small group of, of moneyed uh, commercial property owners, and yet they're moving ahead with it. So the commercial property owners are kind of in the 
crosshairs now because there are objections being raised. How are they trying to justify this? Well, they want to say that House Bill 126 is, would con- create a confusing and costly network of valuations, and, and it would just be so hard on them. Uh, House Bill 126 says that school districts must get approval from their boards of education before they can pursue cases to the Board of Revisions. There is an amendment that has not been adopted yet, but is being considered by the Senate Ways and Means Committee that would take school districts out of the process completely by banning them from from arguing cases in front of the Board of Revisions. Uh, but yeah, they, they're saying, well, you know, take an example of four properties on one street. One challenges and loses, one challenges and wins. So you're having different valuations and that's so confusing for investors because why is this one, you know, more expensive and, and it has more taxes than the other one, which is kind of a specious argument actually but they it's say- completely bogus it's mm-hmm. just bogus because the way this system works is if you believe your property is overvalued you go in to the objective board of review board of revision to ask for a change the school district gets to come in and say we think they're they're giving you phony information here's why and the independent board of revision which has no horse in this race makes the call. So if they rule that one of the four properties is overvalued, it's because it's overvalued. If they rule that the adjoining property is not, maybe it's because it has tenants, whereas the other one can't find a tenant to save its life. It's it, that Everything they're saying is bogus. This is one where the legislature should have automatically said, we're not doing that. We're going to serve the taxpayers. Once you take those commercial property values down, the people that pay the taxes that are cut are the homeowners. Right. So this is protecting private commercial landowners at the expense of basic Ohioans who are trying to live on tight budgets. And I was interested to see that uh, two Senate Democrats, Sandra Williams of Cleveland and Nikki Antonio of Lakewood, they were concerned that schools will keep going after commercial properties year after year for more money if they challenge and successful. I, I found that an interesting point of view. But then on the other hand, Williams was concerned about um, using, it's called a drop-down LLC transfer of property where you can sell your business which usually includes the property via an LLC to a buyer. And this avoids certain real estate taxes. Williams questioned, is this a way to hide property valuations? Well, yeah, sure sounds like that. But Downtown Cleveland Alliance CEO Michael Deemer says, I actually disagree with that characterization. And he feels like that the school t- attorneys are being overzealous in their challenges to property tax valuations. So the Downtown Cleveland Alliance is basically anti-school district. I mean, this is supposed to be a nonprofit that's looking out for the best interest of all, but it's putting the needs of property owners ahead of the needs of the people that live downtown and need quality schools. I mean, it's shame on them. Uh, I can't imagine they would have done this when Marinucci was running it. Uh, and, And if this is the direction they're going in, wow, uh, working against the interest of the public school system, not a place that they should be. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Is a federal judge letting a prominent law firm get the $68 million it claims it is owed by First Energy for its valiant lobbying to pass that corrupt bill we all know is House Bill 6? Seth, there seems something so wrong 
that a law firm is going to get $68 million for its work facilitating the most corrupt thing that's ever happened in Ohio. Yeah, it's a pretty big payday for Aiken Gump, which is a you know, D.C.-based lobbying firm. And, you know, we, when we talk about the $68 million, I think it's also pretty important to note, like, what some of that money went to, right? And, uh, you know, they, they drafted resolutions to, you know, basically um, uh, ensure the First Energy donated $40 million in dark money to Generation Now, that shady, you know, super PAC that was basically used as a... Uh, um, a, a slush fund of sorts, right? And so I, I, that said, I'm not totally surprised that the the payment was approved because the judge said, yeah, we know what is, you know, what's going on. We're very aware of, you know, the court is very aware of the kind of activities that Aiken Gump and First Energy were involved in, but that doesn't, you know, there doesn't seem to be anything that would prevent payment. But I do kind of wonder, does it sort of open you know, the lobbying firm up to any kind of investigations that might be going on, right? Well, this is the investigation, yeah. though. I mean, they were there. They used their expertise to help First Energy, which has admitted it was completely corrupt what it did. It's paid a gigantic fine for what it did. This law firm was the, the vehicle for doing that work. So I, I'm, I'm surprised that the judge is giving them the money instead of saying, you know what? I want more accountability. I want to see line by line what you said you did to earn this money and see if anywhere along the way those line items contain sleazy stuff that they shouldn't get paid for. They're getting $68 million for having subverted this entire state and its ratepayers. Well, it, it just seems criminal to me. And and the judge did note that the uh, the billing rate for Aiken Gump, which was $2.7 million from the uh, lobbying team, were, quote, astoundingly high. Um, which, yeah, that's a that's a pretty big lobbying bill right there. Uh, he also said he was particularly surprised to uh, see that the uh, the law firm's application didn't even you know mention its HB six lobbying effort, which you know kind of makes you wonder. Well, okay, if you know clearly they probably think that uh, the HB six stuff was problematic, so why why not include that on the uh, on the bill? Yeah, I mean, look, they were an accessory. To, one, to the biggest corruption scheme ever, one that's still unraveling before our eyes. And wh whether they claim they knew it or not, they were. And now they're getting the fruits of that labor. It's a surprise that the judge went along with it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We have lots more news to talk about, but we're not going to talk about it today. I imagine we'll be carrying it over to tomorrow. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listened to this podcast. 